By the grace of God, we're finding ourselves, my friends, in the midst of the fifth plague when the angel came out and trumpeted and a star fell onto the earth and the well of the abyss was open. And from the well of the abyss came up smoke and from the smoke came out locusts with that idiomorphic form. We already explained a great deal about these things and we farther elaborated on the specific point where it says only those who have rebelled against God will be harmed. We used another prophecy to provide an image of that harmful event, a prophecy of Moses found in Deuteronomy. In that specific prophecy, God says, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord, then you will be struck with insanity, madness, and blindness, and confusion of heart, and numerous other states and ills, as we read in Deuteronomy 28, 28. However, a very interesting and noteworthy point provided in this sacred text is this. All these evils will not befall on the people who have the seal of God, but on those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. All those people who do not have the seal of God on their forehead, which is the seal of the Holy Cross. Are you aware of the steady de-Christianization occurring steadily in our contemporary world? This constant de-Christianization happens on a global level, not excluding our country. This is very evident. Anyone can see this, and the damage is such that people will no longer be baptized. They will not have the Holy Cross as their seal. They will not believe in the power of the cross. Likewise, even those who have been baptized, if they have denied the power of the precious cross in their lives, they cannot claim that they have this seal, regardless of their baptism. Only those who will have the seal of the precious cross, they will escape all these evils. And the question may arise, how is this selection going to take place so the people of God will not be harmed through this. I will remind you something that our Lord said in the 21st chapter of Luke, verse 36. Therefore stay awake. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. These words of the Lord are very revealing and they come to give the answer to this precise point of this question. He says, stay vigilant, be watchful, meaning you must have the measure of faith inside of you, the expectation of the Son of God from heaven, being always watchful, prayerful, supplicating, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. So we can escape all these future evils. So we can escape from the plagues recorded in the book of the Revelation. The word of the Lord is very overt about this, that you may be found worthy to escape from all these things that will take place in the form of a plague. 
and to stand in front of the Son of Man. So when he comes back at the end to stand in front of him, will all this fulfillment of your holy expectation and your hope. So this is the answer. Now, how would this come to pass? Only God knows. Much like the resurrection of the dead, how would this exactly come about? Only God knows. Exactly how will a body that became dust and burned to ashes disappeared, how will it reconnect and be restructured, reassembled? This only God knows. His goodness, his omniscience, and his omnipotence will bring these things to fruition. But let's pay attention to this catalog of ills, those that are mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy. And if you paid close attention, you probably remember that most of these plagues were primarily of a psychological dimension. It is a state that usually strikes people who do not have true and alive faith. Today we ask, why do we have such a sharp increase of psychological illnesses? My friends, tons upon tons of so-called relaxing pills are consumed tons of drugs because people live in a state of anxiety, a state of stress, a state of a dysfunctioning nervous system. The soul is in a constant state of explosion and confusion. And someone may ask, why? What causes all this? It seems to be the type of thing that God threatens people with in Deuteronomy. And quite frankly, a believer a true believer cannot possibly have a psychological illness. I remember a while back, a young man, one of the young people who surround us, who are children of God, who want to live and develop a spiritual life, and at some point he suffered a nervous breakdown of some sort, and he ended up in a neurological clinic. This goes back many, many years. So he entered a well-known neurological clinic in Larissa. I went to visit him, and uh, I did this a number of times. And I specifically remember him telling me that the doctor told him something very, very profound. And this is to the credit of the doctor. When the doctor saw him reading the Holy Scriptures, reading some religious literature, magazines, the doctor told him, if you were a true Christian, you would never need to come to this place. This is true. Truer than true. Yes, a true Christian. And a true Christian is not someone who simply goes to church, confesses, or takes Holy Communion. No, my friends, this is not necessarily the true Christian, but the one who grasps the spirit of the gospel and lives accordingly in absolute freedom and in absolute gratitude and love. He's the true Christian, the one who does not have a divided or split personality between God and the world, between the spirit and matter. The man who truly grasped the meaning and the spirit of the gospel, and this man is not in danger of developing psychological illnesses. When he believes not only in God, but in the providence of God, an element that is lacking in nine out of our ten Christians today. The Lord said, do not be anxious about what you will eat or drink. Can you find me some Christians 
who are not anxious about tomorrow? So I can answer you if our Christians can really succumb to these psychological illnesses. When we are constantly stressed out and anxious about what we will eat tomorrow, how we will build, how we will build our dream home, how we will manage to raise our children, how we will manage this or that, then of course we do not put our trust and our hope and our daily care in God. By this, we don't mean that we will cross our hands and do nothing. Now the excuse that may be used here is that our time is such that everyone is running, hurrying, running, and, and you know, Father, someone may say, you know, if I don't run, I will be left behind. What then? Then what will take place is something that happened in the soccer field of uh, you know, a great stampede will take place where people from the back of the bleacher stepped all over those in front of them to try to get out. If I don't run, people will outflank me. They will step all over me. Not quite, my friends. Not exactly. My answer would be that we have a very bad impression of the gospel. We are not very knowledgeable in the area of the gospel. When we accumulate and hoard so many unnecessary and harmful things, when we think that we must have everything and we try to possess things to better our life, then it is easy to understand it is inevitable that we will be faced with some neuropsychological problem, at least something minor. Even if we begin to lose sleep, which by the way, that's the beginning of the psychological illnesses, to begin to lose our sleep, to twist and turn for hours without sleeping. All these, of course, get a hold of people who do not have a true spiritual foundation. I must also tell you that it is specifically mentioned that the faithful who lived during the destruction of Jerusalem, and they lived in the city, they left because they remember the prophetic words of the Lord. When you see the city surrounded by armies, flee, take off. Do not stay inside the city. Who remember this admonition of the Lord? Only the faithful. What does this mean? They were the only ones saved. So we could say that Christ has a secret code, a secret password for every season, and the faithful can sense it when they are in the church. And through the church, they will be saved. What is this secret code? Christ only knows. He knows it. We don't know it. God always reveals it at each different season. But even if you tell me, what if an atomic or a nuclear bomb is used, wouldn't the faithful be killed? My friends, if the faithful are killed, for them, the kingdom of God becomes wide open. So there is no great harm to the faithful. However, when the unbeliever is visited by death, what happens next? The opening of Hades or hell. For this reason, if death comes upon the faithful, there is no great loss. The loss is minimal if it can be considered a loss. But having said all this, we are now approaching the end of this chapter having analyzed this plague, at least in its real or physical aspect, about what these locusts could be. 
However, this fifth plague of the fifth trumpet call could also be viewed spiritually or allegorically. St. Andrew of Caesarea says, I believe that we must also consider these peculiar locusts being the warfare of the malicious demons always prepared to do battle against us. Many interpreters of the past and of the present envision as beastly locusts all the heresies and their consequences. For example, the fall of the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, had terrible consequences. I'm being totally objective here. I'm not speaking from passion. There's nothing personal here, believe me. You will see it in a minute in a brief historical overview. It is common knowledge that the West began to misuse the Christian gospel. These misuses and abuses finally led to the Protestant Reformation. This is a well-known fact even by children of the elementary school level. Protestantism would not have been created if Luther, the priest of the Roman Church, did not see these truly unspeakable abuses. However, Protestantism was created, it exists, with many millions of believers without being a church. Protestantism is not a church, but a collection of religious communities, simply because the church consists of the sacrament of holy priesthood. The mystery of the priesthood validates, authenticates the church, and it is validated from the church. More clearly, the priesthood, the presence of the priesthood, authenticates all mysteries, including the mystery of divine Eucharist and holy baptism, which consist the church. But priesthood itself is received inside the church, inside the mystery of Holy Eucharist during the mystery of divine liturgy. Thus, the mystery of priesthood is received and validated inside the mystery of the divine liturgy, so the priesthood consists the church and it is validated by the church. These two are indispensably connected and since Protestantism dispensed the mystery of holy orders, let's not waste our time thinking them as churches. But do you perceive the seriousness of this dilemma? This is something that could make the head of the sincere Orthodox Christian spin to think, how could all these people reach salvation? What will happen to them? And all this from the fall of the Pope. It is also known that the Roman Church adulterated the spirit of the gospel and from crucifixional cross-bearing changed it to secular or social-political. So Rome transmuted the church into a social-political organism. This is not difficult to understand when we speak about the Church of Rome and the Vatican because the Vatican is an official nation and the Bishop of Rome happens to be simultaneously the president 
or in previous centuries, the king of the country of the Vatican. So the Bishop of Rome holds ecclesial and political authority. Needless to say, this Western Christian adulteration had severe consequences. It gave birth to Renaissance. It is common knowledge that Renaissance was created from a spirit of rebellion against the Roman Church because people saw this church as a swamp and its decomposition was natural since this church had essentially died. A certain spirit, a new way was now alive in Europe seeking to liberate people from the church and to return to civilization, politics, and to classical humanism. This is the basis of the spirit of the Renaissance. They reached the point of wishing to mimic the classical architecture of ancient Greece. So Renaissance, which means rebirth and certainly not creation, they did not create anything new. They simply copied the existing arts of ancient Greece. Consequently, and progressively, and steadily, Western Christianity was taking steps towards the world and towards secularism, creating Christians of this age and not of the age to come. Christians who view the church as a means of good communication, helpful in their sense of community, to develop a strong community, to enjoy their material goods, and this created various adverse reactions among the different classes of people. This unrest in the area of philosophy, social ways, and reforms led very quickly to atheism. Atheism, my friends, was born in the West. Heresies existed in the East, but they never gave birth to atheism. The phenomenon of atheism never appeared in the 2,000-year history of Eastern Orthodoxy. This is a product of the West. Now, if you pose the argument that atheistic communism developed in the area of Russia, well, this is not by mere coincidence. I must tell you that unfortunately, what preceded this phenomenon was a religious renaissance modeled after and influenced by the Roman Church. So atheism was the result of renaissance even in Russia. So atheism now in due time generated the atheistic socialist systems with the end result being the full verification of the words of St. James, the brother of God. He writes in his epistle, chapter 4, verses 1 or 2, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? In other words, the seeking of pleasure in what you will eat, what we will drink, how to enjoy our senses, pleasure in what we hear, pleasure in what we see. And St. James continues, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. This is a very quick overview because our time here does not allow us to do an analytical study of these historical events. 
but our objective is to offer some pertinent points to justify this fifth plague from a spiritual viewpoint. Europe, at some point, begins to discover Africa, the Far East, and America. And what does it do? It colonizes. It becomes colonial. And millions of people sigh and grumble under the yoke of colonist Europe. And now I ask, when the missionaries of the Western world, of Europe, when they would go to spread the gospel of Christianity in India, in China, the Far East, would they be accepted? And would their acceptance be the same had they not brought along these infections? Because behind this missionary Christian activity was exactly this agenda of real estate possession and colonization. This is precisely why all these adverse reactions were created and finally atheism being the end result of a cosmopolitan, secularized Christianity. A Christianity used more so as a bait, as an outside cover for the hook of selfish material interests and hedonistic pursuits. All this simply because Europe desire to live lavishly and materialistically. Europe did not have a Christian mindset to simply wish to bring the message of the gospel to Christianize Africa and America and the Far East to become genuine missionaries like the Byzantines without having ulterior motives and desires of possession. This is very characteristic, and as Greeks, we can boast about this. And even to this day, everywhere we go to witness and preach Christ, we do not have a colonist mentality, but we wish to preach Christ with all our heart to those who do not know him. However, this was not the case with Western Christianity. A more recent interpreter states in one of his books while interpreting the Revelation the following. The French Revolution took place in 1789. Now, what is the French Revolution? Of course, it is a number of things, and to this day, many references and many different writers offer various interpretations. But essentially, my friends, it is nothing more than a new agenda, a new initiative towards organized materialistic and atheistic socialist systems. If it wished to declare liberty or equality, this sort of liberty and equality outside and in the absence of God, this is common knowledge to all, the result being that today's world is being governed by this set of values and initiatives. Not to mention that this fact is proclaimed very openly by various methods today, that we are governed by the standards of the French Revolution. The consequences of this agenda brought about exactly what we face today. The dead end, the dead end of anarchy, rebellion, and ethical deterioration and the escalation of crime. 
the Western world, Western Christianity has reached this dead end because it started out on the wrong foot. This is precisely why the Pope is characterized as Antichristos. Now you may understand why all this evil started from the Roman Church because she did not maintain the truth of the gospel. As you can see, there is no passion here. The motive is not to take away from the Latin Church or the Pope. We are simply quoting well-known historical facts. History itself answers the questions to these things. So this entire state of events led humanity to today's reality, the way we know life to be today. We as Greeks have openly accepted the influence of the West, and this for quite some time now. So as we mentioned, this state led humanity to the feelings of insecurity, to psychological diseases, and to all the byproducts that we call Western civilization or Western lifestyle. What do you think is the reality of the Western lifestyle? This feeling of insecurity, the psychosomatic illnesses, the threat of an all-out nuclear war, all the things that torment the men of the West. And this becomes quite obvious when the mystics of the East now come to offer a helping hand. The gurus of Buddhism, the uh, Dalai Lamas of Eastern meditation, and they exclaim, you pitiful Europeans, learn to relax. You got to relax. You have fears? Sit down in the morning, meditate for an hour or two, loosen up, untie your energies. And why this need for relaxation? Because the man of the West finds himself in this vicious cycle of mental anguish, a lifestyle full of stress, psychosomatic illnesses, the feeling of imbalance, insecurity, and the constant fear of the nuclear war. And we live with all these evils. So all of the above, my friends, torment today's men. And we could say that this entire description of the scenario of this fifth trumpet call essentially presents a rather good picture of the contemporary reality, where people are being tormented from the very things that they were in such a hurry to invent. Please allow me to present a third point of view, even though we don't have a third point here, but actually a mere expansion of the second point of view. This star that fell upon the earth, as the holy text says, this star is the devil. And consequently, the devil wishes to propagate the demonic element inside nature. With this demonic element, he inspired the first created human beings when he suggested to them that uh, the evil idea, when he told them that they can reach theosis or deification without God. They can exist independently of God and without God. They really do not need God. They don't need God as their purpose. So he actually infected our progenitors with this demonic element and this very subtly. Do you know that this demonic element is constantly and continually whispered to people by the devil even to this day? However, we must be aware that evil is not ontological, meaning 
that evil does not exist as an entity. It is not existential. The devil is not ontologically evil. He is not an evil creation. The devil was created a good angel, and he became evil. So evil does not exist out there somewhere. Evil is not a universal principle in the philosophical sense. Evil is not a universal principle, regardless of what some dualist philosophical systems may believe. Saint Diadochos of Potiki writes, evil does not exist in nature, nor is someone evil by his nature, because God did not create anything evil. What does this mean? That evil exists in the disposition, in the free choice of logical beings. From the moment that I choose to do something evil, then evil takes substance. So it exists in the free will of men, in his disposition and in his actions. So evil exists only because I want it to exist. I wish to do it. So evil does not exist independently as an essence, and this is extremely important. Watch. This is why God places the test of will to the first created Adam and Eve with the two trees of life and of the tree of knowledge, of good and evil. This test will reappear again later to the Hebrews in the desert. I read from Deuteronomy chapter 30 in verses 15 through 19, and God says, Behold, I gave before you today life and death, good and evil, the blessing and the curse. Choose life so you and your seed can live. So I have placed these choices in front of you. It is up to you to choose life. And by doing this, you and your descendants will live a life full of blessings. From this we can surmise that the demonic element without God having created it, underline this, it exists in every free and logical being. What is the devil? A good angel who thought of evil all by himself. He created the demonic element. Man can also become a source of evil because he's a logical and free being. Consequently, when God says before you, I place life and death, the blessing or the curse, even though God exhorts us to choose life, you can create evil inside of you and you can become a source of the demonic element if you so choose. What does the devil do? Precisely this. He pushes men to choose evil if man finally consents, but man himself becomes or is a creator of the demonic element. So man himself becomes or is a creator of the demonic element. We really must try to understand this. So when Lucifer fell upon the earth from illumination, when he lost his illumination, as our church tells us, he created presuppositions of evil upon the earth. So men left the well of his emotions and his senses open and unguarded. We said the well because we are using the picture of the fifth plague about the well of the abyss or 
the bottomless pit, as some of the translations say. But don't forget that we're still interpreting the image of the fifth plague. So the ruling part of the soul, the noose, the noose of men became inundated from the fumes of evil and it was darkened. Where is the sun? So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Not to mention that man left wide open the well of his subconscious. And every destructive element surfaced in the area of his cultural life. Along with the surfacing of the demonic element, we have the rise of rationalism, atheism, which are representations of the demonic element of the human subconscious. Should I simplify all this for you? Let me break these things down for you, just to make things a little bit more practical. When every household, every Christian household, my friends, rushes to purchase a television with all its pornographic innuendos, you see, we went and bought the set. They didn't necessarily give it to us for free. We paid money for it. I'm saying this because in the final analysis, when you try to advise someone, listen, try not to watch television. Do not watch television. This becomes inconceivable for today's men. Today's man goes out and pays money. He has a monthly bill to view television. And you try to tell him not to watch TV? It's like saying uh, to someone who goes out and pays top dollar to enter today's state-of-the-art movie theater. Uh, he goes in to watch his favorite movie. And now you try to tell him, look, keep your eyes closed or take a nap while this film is playing. But that's why he paid money to watch, to watch this movie. So it is obvious that we left the well of our senses open. Now, what will surface? All kinds of temptations and all the fumes and the lingering temptations of the five senses. I only mentioned television. I will bypass all other forms of today's so-called entertainment. I won't even begin to mention the temptations of the dancing nightclubs and discotheques where the ill-famed dancers are so torturous to the sense of touch. All these things come to darken the mind, darken the rolling noose, darken the sun. As the evangelist says, the smoke came out of the abyss like the smoke of a great furnace and darkened the sun. Of course, we also have some sun rays seeking, uh, peeking through, and man at some point begins to understand things, but he cannot see very clearly. What can I say about the human subconscious that we left totally open? I'm only giving you some examples here because our time really does not allow for great expansions on these matters. But tell me when the main dogma today in raising children says, do not scold, do not correct the children because they will develop complexes. The new generation parents are taught by the new pedagogical masters of child psychology to ignore the child's mistakes or sins. But this is deplorable because, as we know, every child 
a child of every epoch, is the fallen Adam. The purpose of true discipline is to transform the child from fallen Adam to a man of grace who will know to purify the conscious and the subconscious. So today's contemporary disciplinarians preach, let the child live as he wishes. In other words, let the child exercise his fallen Adamic tendencies. So this child, in order to be free of taboos and complexes, releases from his subconscious all the tendencies of the stored up, antiquated humanity of the descendants of Adam. Now, what happens when this antiquated humanity surfaces? Nothing else other than criminal behavior, perversions, all the perversions prevalent in today's society, which were menacing humanity for centuries. All these now resurface from the open well of the abyss, and they come to torment. Today, when we have the entire lives of societies and cultures revolving around the satisfaction of the senses and the fumes and vapors of the subconscious depositories of fallen Adamic states, then you can imagine what sort of society this can be. Do you follow? Are you beginning to understand, my friends? And yet, it's not even necessary to intellectualize here. All you need to do is take a look around today's world and you can see these things very plainly. Someone can see the bare reality in our contemporary society, not here in Greece only, but this on an international scale. Consequently, doubt, pessimism, nihilism, insecurity, the weight of the created universe come to torment today's men. Do you know, you know the man who has no God inside of him? He's terrified of the universe, the sky. He feels that any moment it will fall on top of him and crush him. It is a feeling that most of us here may not understand, but many people feel this. Not to mention the very fear of an unfriendly and polemic universe. Man is afraid of earthquakes, hurricanes, thunderstorms. He's afraid of all these elements which have really lost their balance and rhythm these last decades. All these things give the impression of a dangerous and unfriendly universe to today's troubled men. All these things come to torment in the manner of locusts, as the plague says, to torment the man who lost his purpose of existence, the man who lost his God. So we have these locusts of fury tormenting today's men so terribly. I will bring up another small example, the presence of narcotics. What is the basis of drug abuse? It is the attempt of today's men to counterbalance depression or sadness. The same holds true for cigarette smoking, which is a narcotic, by the way, and tobacco is a drug. But of course, it's very light, but it serves as a bridge or as the pathway to other forms of drug abuse. A young man who never tried cigarettes, not even once, will very seldom fall victim to drug abuse. It is not impossible, but quite unusual to become familiar with other types of narcotics. 
the man who would not wish to create hedonistic crutches and counterbalances for the bitterness of this life, this man will have the ability to hold on. However, most people today have left their senses free to enjoy every hedonistic element available to them. So as you can understand, men bows down very easily to every source of pleasure and temptation made available to him. A prime example uh, today, we have the very heavy use of illicit narcotics, drug trafficking. Young people especially will try to use and experience drugs. At the same time, while tasting and experiencing some pleasure, they also self-destruct. Today's man, whether in theory or in action, moves towards self-nihilism. It's so tragic, so very tragic, my friends. Humanity has reached an impasse, a dead end. I don't know exactly how to express this impasse that great masses of today's humanity suffer from. Today, humanity has reached a pitiful state, and this is precisely the plague that torments people with all these things that they chose to make part of their lives. But I must continue a little farther. We also meet this demonic element in civilization. It is not by mere coincidence that cultural civilization was originally developed by the generation of Cain. Cain went away from paradise that his parents had left, and there he began to build a city. Of course, not a city by today's standards, as we understand a city to be today, but a residential community, a residential dwelling. This you may wish to look up in Genesis chapter 4, you know, verses 17 through 24. And this especially with the aid of an orthodox commentary. Four of his descendants, four of his children, begin to create civilization. According to Hebraic tradition, one of his daughters invented the spinning trade using wool to make threads and clothing. From this, it becomes obvious that the generation of Cain, and this is a very, a very, very fine detail here, the generation of Cain was primarily preoccupied with the development of civilization. This is not by mere coincidence, as I said earlier. Cain received a curse from God, and he needed to develop something to lighten the burden of the curse that was chasing him, and he managed this in his preoccupation of inventing some kind of civilization, because civilization comes to introduce some comforting and consolation in man's life. On the contrary, the generation of Seth, who was born to serve as a replacement for Abel, who was killed by Cain, uh, this generation of Seth stayed primarily preoccupied in the worship of God, but also in the simplicity of life. I underline this to the worship of God and to the simplicity of life. For example, we read in Genesis 4.26 about Enosh, who happens to be a son of Seth, 
and as for Seth, to him a son was born, and he trusted, he put his hope to call the name of the Lord according to the Septuagint. He trusted in the Lord. So Enosh, and in the Septuagint, he's called Enos, E-N-O-S. So Enos trusted and hoped in the name of the Lord and God. Something that we don't see in the generation of Cain. Thus, my friends, two different waves were created. And let's listen to them. The first wave is that of Cain being far away from God, which hastens to create civilization at an accelerated rate to introduce some comfort to the harshness of life, but also to find an antidote for the daily bitterness and emptiness of the soul as well the soul that lacks inner peace and tranquility because it lives far away from God. Surely, technical civilization has the ability to serve men up to a certain point to facilitate men's life, no doubt. However, when this technical civilization surpasses certain boundaries, then it turns into stress, delusion, and it becomes a curse. The use of the earth and its elements in their simple form, in their simple state, presents no danger whatsoever to man's psychosomatic health and no danger to his environment. Take the scenario of our farmer a few generations back. Our farmers took simple wheat and they worked the earth. The earth gave them less wheat but without chemical fertilization. Certainly they received less from the earth, but without chemicals and other means. And these means come to destroy the earth as we see this happening today. The watermelons were small. The peaches, oh, the, the blessed peaches. We will never taste real peaches again. They were small, but fragrant. The peaches were full of fragrance. They were all smaller, but free of chemicals. The tomatoes were small. However, the demands of the people were not excessive. People ate frugally and simply. Exactly what St. Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 31. Those who use this world as not misusing it. There was no misuse in consumption or misuse of the earth. Consequently, man and his environment were maintaining a, a certain health, a certain balance. However, another season has emerged, earmarked by the fifth plague. Man now desires to satisfy all his senses. Man lives to enjoy. And now the demonic element has entered his life, his culture, his civilization, and now he begins to push and overforce nature to extract from it whatever more he can. And he will now use chemistry, he'll use nuclear energy, he uses all these elements which destroy not only his life, but his environment. How beautifully the psalmist captures this in one of his psalms. My friends, if you really want to know, all these truths are deposited in the Holy Scriptures. He says in the 16th Psalm, their belly was filled 
from, from your hidden things. What are the hidden things of God? We search the depths of the ocean, the depths of the earth to extract, 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 I don't know what, to create, to eat, not to meet our needs, but to fulfill our desires. And they were satisfied with children? Not quite. The Greek word eon and the Vatican code catches this as well, means meat of pork. They were filled with pork. The meaning is totally different in the King James. So here, you know, they were not satisfied with children, but they were satisfied with uh, pork, meaning that they did not hesitate to eat even forbidden food. The Hebrews were forbidden to consume pork. So they were filled with forbidden foods and their leftovers went to their children or their babes. What do we eat today, my friends? Or what do we rather not eat today? What goes inside our foods today? What I just read was from the Septuagint. But the translation of the Hebraic text says, whose children are filled and leave the rest of their possessions for their babes, meaning their grandchildren. Their grandchildren. And this is so characteristic of the consumerism era. So we force nature, we abuse nature, let's pay attention, we place heavy demand upon nature. Heavy demands to give us more and bigger, gigantic fruits and vegetables. But not only in their season, but in all seasons. Cucumbers in the summer, but cucumbers in the winter. Tomatoes in the summer, tomatoes in the winter. Now, how are these tomatoes grown? With hormones, with fertilizers, with injections? That's a different story. Now, if we're slowly poisoned by all this, that's irrelevant to today's merchants. Do you see our gluttony to change the seasons to eat? Why must we eat tomatoes and cucumbers in February? Let's eat lettuce. And why must we have cabbage in the summer? We can save it for the winter, especially since cucumbers and tomatoes will be more appetizing if we only save them for their due season. Do you see, my friends, how we pressure nature? Meats, animals, grown by hormones. Why? Because we became carnivores. We want to eat meat all the time. Now, what if we would eat less? If we would learn to eat less, then we would not need to inject chickens to make them marketable within 20 to 30 days from their incubation period. To have 30-day-old chicken weigh two pounds. Unnatural methods, totally unnatural. To produce supersized produce with the aid of chemical and genetic engineering, and I, I don't know what else. It is worthy of mentioning the continuation of the 17th Psalm by the psalmist as he says, the men of the world are those who eat from God's hidden things and fill their belly. As for me, says the psalmist, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness I shall be filled 
when I look upon your glory. This is the camp of Seth. The other camp that eats the hidden things is the side of Cain. This is quite significant. Thus we see here that the man of faith becomes satisfied and filled with the glory of God. He's content to cultivate the earth very simply. He sees God and he is filled. God fills him. So he only takes from nature what is of necessity to him, and he does not abuse and force nature. This is what the Lord said. This is what he meant by man does not live with bread alone. While man says, no, man can live with bread alone. However, from the moment we say man does not live with bread alone, but from the word of God and with a vision of God, then we have established balance in the powers of nature. And we don't have this torture which characterizes today's civilized men. We could say, my friends, that this is the very idea that the ancient Greeks wished to point out by the myth of Aeolus, the god of winds. The god of winds tied up the strong winds and enclosed them in a sack. And he told Odysseus, Odysseus in the Epic of Odyssey, you will reach your destination as long as you do not tamper with the secrets of this sackcloth. Well, at some point, Odysseus fell asleep and his sailors could not hold back their curiosity. They wished to see what was the hidden treasure inside this mysterious sack of God Aeolus. When they opened the sack of Aeolus, then the winds were released and the boat was nearly destroyed, pushed all the way back to the island of God Aeolus. He was not amused by their actions because he specifically told them not to open this bag until they reached Ithaca, their home. If you will, there's another fable about the, the this trainee magician, and this also happens to be a musical piece, where this new disciple of a master magician, master sorcerer, he began to try some of the magic sentences of his master, who happened to be absent. He opened his uh, master's handbooks, thinking that he could find some easy magical ways to do the chores around the house. All he needed to do was to call upon the secret powers of nature to serve him. So he began to read and the demons appear, the demonic element, and they tell him at your service. And then he proceeded to order them. He wanted to wash and mop the workshop. And he orders, bring me water. So they went to the well and they began to bring buckets of water. Fantastic, he thought. How easy this will be. All the water I want without any effort. Well, the buckets of water kept coming and kept coming one after the other without stopping. Now he began to worry. That's enough. This is enough water. You brought enough. Stop. They kept going and going. Water was now all over the place. Bucket after bucket, the water began to rise. He began to panic. The objects began to float in the room inside this workshop. His master suddenly gets home and asks him, what are you doing? What is the meaning of all this? He knew the secret and he was able to place these powers of nature, the demonic element, back in its place. 
my friends, man invented the demonic element inside nature. He released it, but now he cannot control it. Now he desperately calls out to control this demonic element, but he's not able to. Try to control, if you will, atomic energy, all the nuclear warheads that threaten humanity. There's anguish about these matters because we lost control of these powers of nature. They are out of our hands. So we could say that civilization comes to release the powers of nature with the intent, as our scientists claim, with the intent to be used for a good purpose. However, even in peaceful times, radiation, chemical and industrial pollution, all these things are very damaging to man and his environment, my friends. And this is part of the fifth plague, which comes upon mankind with the trumpet call of the angel, which especially began to be fulfilled in our 20th century. And this plague finishes with this final statement. One law is passed. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. The next woe especially is a fierce battle, a terrible war. And we'll talk about, about this specific war next time, God willing. A terrible war that takes place in the area of today's Iraq and Iran. However, the term one woe is passed serves uh, as the closing of the fifth plague, but it also comes to serve as a forewarning of the coming of the two more terrible plagues. The first woe that we referred to was the plague to guide us to repentance. If we don't repent, and we said this before, two more woes are coming. But will we repent, my friends? 